4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, from the back, that's on page 977 and 978. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16. Uh, The Apostle Paul is the one writing here to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's God's word. You may be seated. So I want to show you some pictures this morning. I want to show you some pictures of some things, and I want you to try to figure out uh, what they have in common. Okay? We're going to look at a number of pictures. First, the Sony Walkman, Mel Gibson, uh, Beanie Babies, shell necklaces. What do these things have in common? A 20s-era flapper hat, Dawson's Creek. Any Dawson's Creek fans out here? That is courageous, Dave. Very, very bold of you. MySpace.com. I know you all checked in on there this morning. Uh, MySpace. Vanilla Ice. And then the church. What do these things all have in common? They used to be cool. Right? Mel Gibson, shell necklaces, MySpace. At, at, at all, at one point, they were cool. And the church... Too, in American culture, was, was thought of as cool. Everyone participated in it. It was a place to be. If you were, right, businesses closed on Sunday. Not anymore. All of those things used to be cool. Now, I'm not going to try to convince you today that the church is cool. I think that's a bigger task than I could probably uh, tackle. But what I do want to convince you of is that the church, and specifically the local church, is essential if you want to have a growing faith. I probably can't convince you that it's cool, but I can convince you it's essential. I want you to see today that you need the local church and that the church needs you. That's what we've been doing in this series is talking about things that grow our faith. We have called it building a stronger church. And we've said that that we we become a stronger church to the degree that each person's faith is strengthened. We said the very first week that the thing that got Jesus' attention, the thing that made Jesus marvel, was when people had faith. Why? Because really faith is about trust, and trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. And that's what Jesus is about. He's about deepening our relationship. And the degree to which our relationship with him deepens will be a stronger church. So we've talked about each week things that grow our faith. We talked about spiritual breathing, that we breathe in God's word and we breathe out prayer. 
We talked about fighting sin because sin is the thing that says, God's not good, you can't trust him. And so we fight against that because we want to stay close to the Lord. We talked last week about money and generosity and how money is the thermometer and the thermostat of your faith. It reads how hot your faith is and it sets a new temperature if you need it. And then today we're looking at why you need the local church. Now, all the other things we've talked about, I imagine you might have some inherent interest in, right? You might think, yeah, you know, I'd like to be better at reading the Bible. Or, you know, when I pray, I just feel like I'm fumbling around. Help me with that. Or, or you know, I, there is this sin that just, it constantly tempts me. And I feel like I'm regularly falling to it. And, and I need help with that. Or, or you might say, you know, I wasn't crazy about you telling me I need to give more money away. But, but I know I need help with my money. But I doubt that any of you have at any point this week been thinking, I wonder if I really need the church. You haven't thought that. So I've got a little bit of an uphill climb here to convince you, first of all, of the value of the church, something that in general in our culture we don't value very much, and then to convince you why you need to be part of it. That's what I want to try to do today. You know, the culture at large doesn't value the church much at all, and and probably with some good reasons. I came up with four eyes, four reasons why the uh, culture doesn't really value the church. Uh, The first one is immorality. And the the culture has seen all kinds of immorality in, in the church. They've seen financial impropriety. They've seen scandal. They've seen sexual misconduct. They've seen all sorts of times when the church says one thing and does another. So they go, ah, we don't need that. They've also seen the idiocy of the church. Think Westboro Baptist. Any of you know who they are? They're the folks who uh, protest and picket at all the military funerals and at any kind of important event and you know, hold up uh, legitimately hateful signs, things that say, you know, God hates you, stuff like that. I think that, does that count as hateful? I think so. Um, and the culture sees that and they don't know the difference between Westboro Baptist Church and First Baptist Church. They don't know that Westboro is really more of a cult than kind of a weird thing, but there, there's churches that do that, and so the culture goes, we don't, we don't need that. There's just the overall irrelevance of the church. The church doesn't seem to be leading the way in anything. The church always seems to be copying the culture. We don't need to look to the church for any kind of innovation or anything like that, the, the culture would think. And then finally, the intolerance of the church. Not just the blatantly hateful speech of people like Westboro Baptist, but now it's thought of as intolerant if you simply articulate biblical beliefs. If you think that this is God's word and that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the only way to salvation, you should live all of your life under his authority. You're thought of as hateful and bigoted. And so, of course, the culture doesn't think of the church as important. But sadly, very many and increasing numbers of Christians don't care about the church either. You may even already be thinking, this seems just totally irrelevant to me. I don't know why I would ever care about this. You're already there. Right? Others of you and other Christians um, have kind of this attitude that, that maybe they like the idea of the church generally but they don't like any part of really what they see in today's church, right? It's too big, it's too corporate, it's too showy, it's too organized, it's too institutional, it's not radical enough, it's not evangelistic enough, it's too evangelistic, it's, right? Oftentimes, at least among the people I know that just have this general sourness about the church, they often have read a lot of David Platt and Francis Chan, 
you know, and I like those guys and I like the books they've written, but if you're not careful with it, you can get real, if you're already kind of prone towards discontent, it just nails the coffin. I mean, and you just are like, I can't stand the church. Why can't it just be a bunch of radical people in houses giving away everything? Okay. But, but you, so you, if you're in that boat, you go, yeah, I just don't get this. And I'm here. I don't know even why I'm here. And I kind of don't like coming here, but I'm still here. And <laughs> I wish I had more options, but, but I don't. So some of you feel like that. And then many Christians just feel like the church just isn't that necessary. We're all the body of Christ. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus said he'd be there in our midst. So I don't need the local institutionalized church. I just... Now I, get a, I do a Bible study with neighbors. I meet with a friend for coffee. That's my church. If you're in that boat, I want to try to convince you today that you need the local church and the local church needs you. And so I'm doing an ambitious thing here. They tell you when you're supposed to do preaching that you're supposed to have only like one point or sometimes you're allowed to have three if they start with the same letter. <laughs> but I have 13 today. 13 points, and not a ton of time. So uh, what I want to do is I want to look at 10 reasons why the church is valuable, just kind of big picture, and then I want to go three reasons why you need to be part of this. So kind of big picture and then zero in on you. And uh, the, I'll start with some of the lengthier reasons and, uh, and drive in from there. Some of this is just straight from the scripture. Some of it is just practical experience and analysis and leading. Uh, but here's the first one. The local church is the context in which your personal faith grows. That's the assumption of Scripture, that the place where your faith, where your trust in God will grow, is the local church. And so each of the letters, uh, for the most part, that are written in the Bible are written to local churches, to congregations of people. It's Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, to the congregations in Ephesus, to Rome, to Corinth, and all these different places, talking about here's how life is to be in the local church. Ephesians just gives you kind of a good idea of this. Back in chapter 1, he's talked about that we've been blessed by being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, by being predestined for adoption as sons, by experiencing the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the lavishing of God's grace on us. This grace is explained then in chapter 2 where it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, and he saves us by grace. And he begins to talk about in chapters 2 and 3 about how this grace that we experience not only reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us with one another. It makes it where Jews and Gentiles, people of ethnicities and various backgrounds can come together in the church. And then in chapter 4, he begins to talk about, here's the practical instruction. Here's how all of this doctrine, all of this theology should flesh out. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, this is before what we read earlier, he says this. I therefore, by the way, this, the, the guy writing here is the Apostle Paul, who his main ambition in life was to start churches. That's what he was about. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's what he's saying. You have experienced, 
if you're a follower of Christ, the reality of seeing that you're a sinner. That's what he talked about in chapter 2. If you're here today and you're new to this and you know, I'm not quite sure what Christianity is about, here's what it's about. There is a God who is good and perfect. And he's created you in his image. And each of us are by nature and by choice sinners. We sin because we're sinners. But we also sin because we like to. And you know, sin. What it, what, sin is basically this. It's, it's wanting your own way. It's wanting your own path. It's disregarding God, saying, I can do this on my own. And all of us do that. Religious people do that by thinking they can please God by obeying all the rules. Irreligious people do it by saying, forget the rules, I'll do what I want. But all of us sin. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift that God offers, he says, listen, I will send my son Jesus, who never sinned, who never disobeyed, and he is obedient even to the point of going to the cross, dying in our place as a substitute for us, right? Because if the wages of sin is death, what you deserve, what I deserve because of our disregard of God is death, eternal separation, punishment, God's wrath on our heads. And I know that sounds heavy. It's true. If you offend, right, think about this just for a moment. If, uh, if I punch you, you get mad, I think. And, and maybe you could press charges, but probably not. If, you pun- if I punch an officer, like a police officer, ouch, it's gonna, right? I'm gonna, I better get him good, because I'm going to be going to jail for a little bit of time, right? If I then make it past the Secret Service agent, and I punch the president. Right, see, it's the same act, but it's against a more important person. Right, so even the smallest sin against God warrants the deepest punishment. And Jesus comes in, and he lives in our place, and he dies the death that we deserve to die. By grace, you've been saved through faith. By, by simply just saying, I'm going to turn from my path of sin and turn towards Christ, that's faith, you're united to him. You, you, the scripture says you're adopted into his family. You have a hope. And here's, here's what now God wants. And this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, because you have that, walk in a manner worthy of that good news. Be patient. Be loving. Be kind, be gentle, live that out. And the context in which that is going to be nurtured and grown is the local church. God has given you something. You've started this faith. He's given you something to grow it, to nurture it, an environment to help care for you and then empower you to help other people know that good news. And I want to call you, first of all, before you own the church and, and invest in the church and, and commit to the church, I want you to commit to your faith. Do you love the Lord? Do you know him? Have you experienced the cleansing of your sin and the invitation into new life? 
There's a way that we demonstrate a commitment to that. It's the way that Christians have always done it. It's through baptism. Baptism is going public with your faith, going public that you're identifying yourself with God and with his people. This is why we do baptism here. and We'll be doing a baptism on Easter Sunday this year. If you have not yet been baptized, if you have, have trusted in Christ, you've turned from your sin and trusted Christ, but you have not gone public with your faith, this is the time to do that. And we'll have more information for you in the coming weeks about what that looks like. But, but when you go public with your faith, when you say, I'm a follower of Christ, God gives you something to nurture you. It's the church. That's why he continues, verse, uh, we're going down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. These are all the leaders and the different kinds of gifts and the different kinds of roles in a church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. So you get, you have this powerful experience of God's cleansing and God's grace. You have a relationship with him and now you're put into a body where leaders shepherd and oversee and challenge and equip you. The word equip there is the same word that's described in the Gospels when it says that the disciples were out mending their nets. They were fishermen and they'd see holes in the net and they'd want to mend it up. And so God has given the church leaders to see the holes, see where we're not believing God in faith and and to patch those up, to equip us to live all of life, all for him. And so we don't just have leaders, though. We have one another. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, right? We're together. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's what he's saying. I want your faith to grow I want your trust in God to grow. I don't want the circumstances of life and and different teachings and different things to come in and make you blown around and, and wavy and uncertain. I want you to be rooted. And so I've given you the church. It has leaders who equip and it has members, people. It's a body that works together to build itself up in love. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes this body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The context where your faith will grow is the local church. All right, number two. We'll go faster from here. You're going, man, you're in big trouble. All right, the local church, number two, is what Jesus died for. Right, we have a cavalier attitude on the church. We have a take it or leave it, I may or may not, if it meets my needs, if I like the preacher, if I like the music, if there's a nice program for my kids. But otherwise, eh, I don't need it. It's not that valuable. Can I tell you this? Jesus disagrees. You know, you appreciate things when it costs you more, right? It's why when you spend a bunch of money on a, on a car, you try to take good care of it, but your kids who didn't spend money on the car, they don't care, right? Because they didn't pay for it. They just experience all the benefits of it, 
but it's not all that valuable to them. It's the same thing with us. Jesus Christ paid dearly for the church. It says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. And the model for that is, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus died for the church. You would go, okay, well, he died for the universal church. Yes, but that, that has expression in a local place, in a local community, a local congregation that nurtures us to grow. Jesus Christ cares deeply for the church that he paid his blood to buy. And if we love him, if we are Christians, followers of Christ, little Christs, then we too should love the church. Number three. The local church is the only institution that Jesus promised to sustain forever. I would probably actually rewrite that. The church is the only institution that Jesus promised to sustain forever. But again, it has expression in a local context. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus and his disciples are talking about who he is. And Peter says, I'm the Christ. Or he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yes. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on the confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church. So some of you go, you know, I don't really like the church. Just, you know, I got problems with how it works and how it runs and what they do. Okay, do you know who the senior pastor of the church is? Jesus. And I get it. We're sinners. We fight. We, have, we make foolish decisions at times. We don't always love each other the way we should. But, but you know who's building the church? Jesus. He says, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church is attacking the gates of hell. We always think of hell attacking the church. As if we're on defense. But, but Jesus here says, I am building my church. And through their sacrificial love, through their proclamation of good news, through their teaching people all that I commanded, they will push back the gates of hell. And the gates of hell, it says, will not prevail. This will stand forever. Now again, this doesn't mean each local church will last forever. I talked to someone after this first service who... Uh, the, the church they wanted to get married in that they grew up in doesn't exist anymore. So, so I'm not saying this is true of every local congregation. But, but the church, Jesus is committed to it and it gives expression locally. Number four, the local church creates the covenant community that allows the one another's to happen. Okay, a lot of bigger words there, kind of insider language there. When, I, when we say one another's, here's what we mean. The Bible describes that we are to uh, do all kinds of things for and with one another. If you're going to live out uh, the commands of Jesus, the, the scripture says you are to love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, rebuke one another, support one another, bear with one another, on and on and on. Confess your sins to one another. This may seem obvious, but you can't do that alone. Confess your sins to yourself. That's what most of us do, which is why we never get out of it. Strengthen yourself. No. Right? We think if I just had a Bible and a desert island, I would grow, I'd be so mature. 
No, what you would be is you would, you would think you were mature because you didn't have to actually bump up against people. And it's the people that reveal your immaturity. And so we need people. We need this community. And the, the key word there is, is the idea of covenant community. Because this is a kind of community that sometimes is so uncomfortable that sometimes, right, the, the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And when iron scrapes against iron, sparks fly, and it isn't always comfortable. And the only reason you stay in it is if you've committed to be in it. But we need this. We need this for one another. Do you know, it's interesting, that this passage here in Ephesians is talking about us as a body. Do you know what you call a part of the body, cells in the body that only take and never give out? Cancer. And in order to not be cancerous, we need to be part of the body. One pastor said, everybody needs care, but nobody can care for everybody. So we need to build that up, and the local church is the context for that. All right, number five, the local church has a holistic mandate. And so I'm going to start to talk for these next few about, about things that would differentiate a local church from, say, a parachurch organization or a college ministry or um, a missions organization or a, a group that does conferences or things like that. And, and, I'm, and I rejoice that we have all those things. And I've benefited greatly from all kinds of parachurch ministry and from college ministries and from conferences and from all that stuff. But, but here's, this is what makes the local church even more special in the heart of God, I think is the local church has a holistic mandate. Right? We don't get to just care about one issue. We care about everything. We have to. Because the great commandment is to love God with everything and to love our neighbor as ourself, which means we don't just care about their salvation, we care about their whole life. And we care about all of life. That's why we say here, all of life is all for Jesus, because our mandate is holistic. It's comprehensive. And I rejoice that these other ministries come alongside and help as it relates to marriage or help as it relates to missions or help as it relates to college students or Bible translation. I love that that happens. But one of the uniquenesses of the church is we're called to care for and about everybody. So number six, the local church represents a broad spectrum of society. You get all ages, and I love the age diversity in our church. I, when I was in college at University of Illinois, I went to Campus Crusade for Christ regularly and Athletes in Action regularly, and I rejoice in those ministries, and we've supported people in those ministries. When I was in those ministries, I was basically pooling my ignorance with all the other college students. But when Molly and I got involved in a local church, and we would go to a community group where there were kids running around and adults and other things, so much more valuable. The local church does that. The local church represents different domains of society, different marketplace issues that come up. So some of you are in medical and others of you are in education and commerce and trade and military and government and politics and all sorts of things. And, and together we have to wrestle through how our faith applies to those areas. It's a beautiful thing. Not to mention ethnicities. That people from every tongue and tribe and nation can come together around the foot of the cross. Number seven, the local church is designed for lifelong ministry with its members, right? We do baby dedications. We do funerals. And it's designed to walk with you 
through your life, through the ebbs and flows and through the seasons, to know you over the long haul. Number eight, the local church is indigenous. This is probably something that leaders uh, would care more about, but it's the idea that the local church, it, it, it's able to embody the gospel in its particular culture. Which, for example, Redemption Church Gateway looks really different than Redemption Church Arcadia because the people in Arcadia and the people in Gateway are different. There's different cultural sensibilities. There's different preferences. And that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that we don't all look the same. But we're indigenous. We represent this community. We're also uh, sustainable. The local church's ministry is sustainable. Rather than a bunch of pledge drives and outside support and that sort of thing, the local church takes care of itself. We support one another. And then number 10, I love this. The local church does crisis, preventative, and promotional ministry. So crisis ministry. We do that. And the question here is, Who are you going to call on the worst day of your life? I hope it's people from your church. I hope it's leaders and shepherds and pastors in your church. That's, I think, a great question. If you're kind of a person that just bounces around from here to here to here and you go, well, I don't know if I have a church. I don't know what my church is. Who are you going to call on the worst day of your life? That's where you should go to church. That's who you should be in partnership with. And the church responds to that. And many other organizations respond to those needs as well. And, and, and we love to be able to give money to, to people that respond to crisis situations, right? We, we love to give money to support uh, people that, that feed this many people and clothe this many children and educate this many things. But, but the local church also does preventative ministry. This is stuff we never think about. Right? We, we, we can measure the, thing, the crises that we respond to. It's hard to measure the, the crises that never happen because of the health of a church. How many marriages are still together because of the ministry of a church? How many students never get involved in substance abuse because they're loved and supported by other adults in a church? We could go on and on and on, but, but you don't often think about all the harm that's prevented. But then we also do promotional ministry, saying not just don't sin, but, but live unto Jesus. Integrate your faith in your work. Serve. We promote good things, right? So that's what the local church does. That's why it's so valuable. All right, well, that's kind of big picture. I want to try to bring it home a little bit more for you and say, here's why you need the local church. This is one thing you go, yeah, it's valuable. Okay, great. But why do you need it? Why do you need to be a committed part of a local church? And listen, I'd love for you to be part of our church. If you're visiting here today, that'd be great. If you're coming from another church, maybe you should think about going back there and being a committed part of it. Or maybe you should stay here. I don't know. But this is not about everyone's got to commit here. But you need to be part of a local church. Number one reason is to fight the cultural idolatry of your heart. We have things in our culture that just seep into us, right? We're fish in water. We don't even see it, right? And one of these things is just we're overly individualistic. I was with some pastors and leaders from a Middle Eastern country this week, and 
Ask them, what do you like about the American church? What do you see? What are the problems? What are the, right? And when we said, what's your biggest critique of the American church? They said, you all don't tend to respect one another very much because you're so individualistic. You don't really respect authority. You don't respect leadership. You just think, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Right? It's very American. And then when you add that we're Protestant, which means like our DNA is to protest, Right, so we're Protestant Americans. Like that is, that's a tough combo, okay? And, and it's in me and it's in you. And we, this is why we, we don't like to commit to stuff. We don't like to feel tied down. We want to feel free to kind of do what we want and move where we want. And, and, I, and I go here and I like the music and they do concerts and, and they have a great program for my kids and I send them here and I like this preacher. And, I, right? and, and, and so this individualism bleeds into consumerism and it becomes that. Where, where this isn't about what I want to give and how I'm here to serve. It's just about what I want to take. And so I'm just a, a cancer cell that moves from local church to local church to local church. Just take, 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 take. And then when someone pushes back on me or says, hey, why don't you do something around here? Why don't you commit? Or why don't you give? No, I don't like you. I'm going somewhere, right? And that's what we do. And, and, and if we don't lay that down and commit to a group of people who are going to challenge us, who might not be the kind of people we would naturally be inclined to hang out with, if we don't ever commit to that, then that idolatry in our heart will only get nurtured. It won't be resisted. There's also a critical spirit that's part of our culture. Right? I, I, I would blame things like American Idol for this. Right? So, so you'll, you'll leave today, and uh, inevitably the conversation on the way to lunch or home or wherever you're going is... So what'd you think? And, and what do you answer to that question? You hardly ever answer, you know what, I think that Jesus is amazing. And in Christ alone, my hope is found. I am so glad I have him. Right? You don't answer that way. Well, the sermon was okay. He had a lot of points. <laughs> Would have been helpful if he had you know, sh- shaped a few off and you know, and I didn't really get that illustration. And, you know, that, that song, I, eh, I don't know, right? And we just go critic mode instantly, right? We just, we all have our inner Simon Cowell, just <laughs> critique everything, right? And, and the local church, because it's so ordinary and because it's really in some ways so mundane, the same thing happens week after week after week, same services, same people, same... It, it, it teaches us to appreciate it and to be faithful over the long haul. It fights the cultural idolatry of our hearts. It, it also then, number two, shows your love for Jesus' church. Right? If, if Jesus loves the church, we should love it. And you go, well, I do love the church. Oh yeah? Which one? Right? If you don't love an actual local church, it's hard for me to believe that you love any of the church. This is like someone who goes... Jesus, I love that you give me righteousness by faith. But I don't want to live righteously. I'll just do whatever I want. You'd be hard-pressed to believe that that person really appreciates the righteousness that he has as a gift. If he doesn't want to walk in it. right? How, how do we know you, you appreciate, you love what God's building in his church if you're not part of one? And then finally, here's the third thing, is to learn long-term faithfulness through plodding. There's a great article 
Um, I want to read just the first two paragraphs of it. Um, it's by Kevin DeYoung. I'd encourage you to, um, to look it up. It's called The Glory of Plodding. The Glory of Plodding. Here's the first, first two paragraphs. He says, it's sexy among young people, my generation. He's a young pastor in a college town in Michigan. My generation, to talk about ditching institutional religion and starting a revolution of real Christ followers living in real community without the confines of church. Besides being unbiblical, such notions of churchless Christianity are unrealistic. It's immaturity, actually. Like the newly engaged couple who think romance preserves the marriage, when the couple celebrating their golden anniversary know it's the institution of marriage that preserves the romance. Without the God-given habit of corporate worship, without the church, we will not prove faithful over the long haul. We need the church. So here's what I want to challenge you with today. I want to challenge you to join a church. When I say join, what I mean is commit to a church. To commit to a group of people. That you're going to do the one another's with them. You're going to live in community with them. That you would commit to, to taking care of one another through serving one another. We say this a lot at our church here. Every big family, there's something they all have on the fridge. It's a list of chores with people's names on it. Because in a big family, you assume, well, someone else will do it. So you have to make a list. And so part of this would mean get your name on the fridge. And in some families, you get chores that you love to do. And in some families, you just have to take out the trash. And we do both here. Literally, we have people take out the trash. You know someone does that, right? And it's magically, right, that could be you. And, and so this is mostly, again, and it's not about, you got to join this group, or we need help with this. It's about your heart. You have a heart that is trusting the Lord. This is the environment where that's going to be nurtured in the context of this church community. We're going to have an opportunity in about a month to have a membership class. We'll have two nights. It'll be in this room. And it'll be where you can hear about what we believe as a church in more detail. You can have questions answered. Uh, you can even push back on the concept of membership and commitment. And you can get, wrestle through all those questions. After that, if you want to, you can meet with one of our elders you can be part of that process. I would love when the time comes, and we'll talk about it more in, in the coming weeks, I'd love for many of you to be part of that class and many of you to commit to be part of our church. Jesus loves his church. We should too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant grace to us in Christ. God, thank you that you build your church that you're building your church around this world and around our nation, around our city. God, we long for deeper trust in you, and we thank you that we have one another to help build that. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.